Dennis and Dee Reynolds here. We are talking about the homeless issue here in Philly. That's a big issue these days, and we're here with our friend Cricket. He is a homeless man. Cricket, walk us through a day in your life. Oh, day in the life. Well, uh, the other morning, I wake up, I find a dog sniffing at my wound. Mm. He's fully aroused, mind you. So I'm thinking, oh, great, you know, what does this jerk want? Of course, I know what he wants. <laughs> He's looking at me right in the eyes. He does not have to say it. Not that he could. Uh, oh, that is, that is tart. That is really tart. Welcome to Queer Horror Cult. Yeah. Yeah, we're here. We're queer. And And, uh, talking about fear. Oh, shit. (laughs) I don't know. Oh, shit. Is it time to change your tagline? Nah, I like the other one. Uh, I do, too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, welcome back. Uh, It feels weird talking, like doing much preamble when we're recording this far in advance again Mm -hmm. um i am once again leaving the city for a little bit so we are in the midst of pre-recording everything to make sure we have a consistent lineup of episodes for while i'm gone um so you know it's one of those things where it's just like oh i think we've had some great engagement on social media and it's cool that people are still digging the show and all that stuff not realizing that we've become social pariahs in the meantime or something and i somehow missed whatever we did <laughs> yeah we we got canceled somewhere in between like now and when this episode goes yeah up so i assume anymore. people still dig the show but you know <laughs> yeah i'm hoping i'm not yeah I, I don't want to put my foot in my mouth so mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we haven't yet, so here's hoping we can uh, Fingers tiptoeing around that and missing our own mouths yeah. with these feet. <laughs> <laughs> also not stepping on anyone's toes. Being very careful. Stop speaking yeah. mouth metaphors and stuff. <laughs> Figures it's of probably a good mouth way. Mouth and feet and stepping on things. That's probably a good way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this week, we're talking class. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, class struggle not necessarily um the visibility of class i guess as an explicit um plot point Mm -hmm. because a lot of the times especially in you know the sort of golden age of horror where almost everything is about the middle class especially in the slasher slasher genre right um Mm -hmm. it's it's almost invisible. It's just kind of taken for granted. Kind yeah. of in the same way, you know, a movie about white people can just be seen as a movie about people. Right, Whereas yeah. a movie starring with a predominantly black cast or predominantly Latinx cast or something, then it seems like it's for a niche audience. As yeah. if, you know, while people of color are constantly expected to identify with white yeah. portrayed characters, it's as if white people are like, oh no, we can't expect them to put to identify with a black protagonist yeah. like that's so unreasonable we can't do that it's kind of like what people say about like doing a movie with queer protagonists yeah, yeah. or women as a protagonist totally. or in the case of class it's kind of like if you're middle class or above you're identifiable mm-hmm. but if you're anything lower than that then all of a sudden it's at best very pointed you're going to be like a foil for the middle class yeah. or upper class characters to you to make them realize how fortunate they are. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. Turn into some Christmas carol kind of thing. Totally, right? Gonna bring a cooked turkey, cooked <laughs> goose, because it's Christmas. And it was, it was pointed out to me re- very recently, and I, again, it's that invisi- sort of invisibility aspect that I hadn't realized before, but um, someone pointed out, like, try and think of a primetime or a popular TV show that's on right now that doesn't center around police officers doctors, lawyers, 
some kind of like first responder emergency kind of thing, whether that be in policing or like firefighter, EMTs, that kind of thing. But these very sort of solid like middle to upper class careers. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. There Is that you the go. answer? Yeah, totally. I think that I mean, Frank's rich as hell for like scammy but, people, but that's he, part of the he's more point. of a foil to the main characters than the main characters being this a foil to him. But notice that we don't get to see that. We don't get that broadcasted as it airs in Canada. We have to wait until it becomes available on DVD or on iTunes to purchase and mm-hmm. get to see everything like a year later. So it was pointed out to me and I was like, oh shit, that's so true. Which then makes sense to me when um, the Roseanne reboot happened and then Roseanne kept like showing her ass. <laughs> <laughs> I still love that expression. I love it so much. And um, pe- you know, people were saying like, you know, I, I recognize that she's a piece of shit honestly but they're like you know i grew up with the show it was the only television show that i saw that represented you know my like middle or sorry working class family yeah and they're like you know i so i guess it's my problematic fave kind of thing they're like yeah. I, you know i recognize this and I, I i don't like supporting her but at the same time like i so you know i never watched the show but me personally is like i can totally appreciate that no yeah i remember when right? roseanne like, was on like the first time around mm-hmm. and all that and uh it's kind of a shame how that played out mm. with this uh, reboot, but... Is it ever? But yeah, that was pointed out. It's like, oh shit, that's so true. Mm. I, haven't, I haven't seen Shameless yet, but I, I guess that would be another one, one that sort of plays up class uh, dynamics and stuff mm-hmm. in that not typical way. But even then, I guess they're always in sort of like a very like comedy kind of... Yeah, it's comedic. It, it's comedic, yeah. It's goofy, whereas some you, you don't you know you don't have like a working class or working poor equivalent of Grey's Anatomy. That's just like a straight yeah. drama. Yeah, without it specifically being like rags to riches or yeah. about like look how poor these poor people are in yeah, contrast. Yeah. Oh, to the... don't we pity them? You better feel grateful for what you have as yeah. the economy crashes again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I don't suppose that we can necessarily say the movies we've picked for this do differently. Fair enough. Yeah, that's um, that's fair. Yeah, like, but, I'm not pretending that they necessarily yeah. have to, but I, I mean, like, that's just kind of the nature of things, mm-hmm. um, depressingly enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I just took the wind out of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, the only other um, example I can think of with where you'll see sometimes sort of more working class, working poor, even, like, rural families and stuff would be in reality television. Right. And when I took my pop culture course a few years ago, the uh, professor pointed out something really interesting was that sort of around the like 2008 recession mm-hmm. and this big boom in reality TV, you would sort of see it go in one of two directions. You would either get the sort of like l- seeing glimpses into the lives of the rich and famous. You have your Kardashians, yeah. you have your real housewives, you have all mm-hmm. of these people with more money than God who have like nothing better to do than just like be rich and be famous for being rich and famous. And so these shows that show, show this extravagant wealth, they portray these people as just completely out of touch, totally vapid, they, yeah. with questionable morals and like family values and stuff. And then you have shows like, for example, Honey Boo Boo, right. and these shows that show more um, like poorer, at least comparatively speaking, yeah. for sure. But yeah, that more sort of like rural... But. I feel like that's complicated because they become celebrities and famous by virtue of having the show. They don't get paid quite enough to really move them out of their... Well, because then the ratings would decline. Totally. But Um, um, one of the things then there is that as you're showing these these poorer families or these like lower of of lower socioeconomic status, you know, they're not as educated. They're not, they don't have as much access to resources and they're portrayed as, you know, in spite of all this... Look how close they are as a family. Look at their yeah. family values. At the end of the day, family comes first. But but still look at the families they do. Like, there still is that sort of, like, strive for success thing within them. Like, you mentioned Honey Boo Boo. It, it is about, like, a... What is she, like, a child pageantry I think by the time she got person? her own show, she wasn't doing that as oh, much okay. anymore. It was more about the... Because fa- I, I, I admit I saw a few episodes out of curiosity. And it was more they were, like, reveling in their redneckitude and being yeah. like, fuck yeah, we're rednecks, we don't give a shit. Because the example I can think of is that fucking Cuck Dynasty show where it's <laughs> like... Did you call them Cuck Dynasty? I might have called them Cuck Dynasty, but... Um, they're rich as fuck, but they, it, but they live, like, fucking outdoorsmen. Yeah, but they, they have... They're, like, a fucking, like duck whistle fucking magnate empire, magnet empire yeah. motherfuckers but then, and it's but, like that that's that's rich 
That's it is. just rich it dressed is. up as a... Totally. <laughs> yeah, just live in like a woodsman because you can. But at yeah. the end of the day, um, the point that she made, the professor that is, mm-hmm. was that in the context of this recession where the middle, you know, the so-called middle class is just like absolutely suffering, the gap between the rich and the poor is extending to, you know, levels now I've heard apparently, if you crunch the numbers, we're approximately at if we haven't surpassed the wealth and disparity that existed at the time of the French Revolution. So we'll, we'll see so what happens So once again, one of the guillotines going to be wheeled out. Right? Yeah, bring them back in style. Um, but you can't help but wonder if all these particular shows emerged at this time as if to communicate, well, you know, you don't want to be rich like these people because look how out of touch and how vapid and just how stupid and ridiculous their lives are. But you have these poor people and in spite of not having that much money... They're so close. They have family. They have each other. They have, you know, family comes first at the end of the day, and that's what matters so most. So you're saying it's a sinister plot to it keep is. people complacent. It is. It's like complacent. it's fucking propaganda. It, it totally keeps people complacent oh, and man. docile. So it's just like, god damn, like, I see why. Can't fucking like, win ever yeah, anywhere. Right? Yeah, it's, it's pure propaganda. So, Ugh. yeah, that's another way class is mobilized to be like, well, be happy with what you have because you're getting screwed but we don't want you to think you're getting screwed. Or if you do, blame immigrants, not the people who are hoarding all the wealth. So welcome back to Socialist Necro Porn Chat, our newest podcast, where mm-hmm. we talk about those three things and those three things exclusively. Yes. <laughs> so class. Um, class in horror. Class in horror. Vis- visibly mobilized class in horror, I guess, would be the thing. Because class, of course, is always present. It's just whether or yes. not we recognize it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, the first one that we watched was uh, Candyman from 1992, mm-hmm. which is, you know, one of those horror classics that I came to really late in the game. Well, I did too. I saw it for the first time with you like, yeah, except you've come a couple to ev- years ago. You've come to everything late in the game. Not everything. <laughs> a lot like of things. Most, like 90% of things. Okay, for, for me, who's like, who thought they'd seen pretty much all of the sort of bona fide classics, or most of them, this was a pleasant surprise to be like, because I saw it not that long before I showed it to you. Oh, okay. And I hadn't I seen it. And so... <laughs> Fair enough. Um, it's one of those things where it's just like, well, this one went under my radar. Not under my radar. I was aware of it. I just never watched it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, what did you think of Candyman? This would have been a second time watch for yeah, you. Yeah, I really liked it the first time. I was still second time. Same thing. Same deal. I, um... I don't know that I necessarily, like, noticed anything new or anything the second mm-hmm. viewing, but I still enjoyed it just as much, I would say. How about you? Oh, I think this is a fun movie, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, I have a friend who's really into Clive Barker, mm-hmm. and uh, this is one of their favorite movies, and so... Um, I can see why. Yeah, they wrote a term paper on it that yes. I believe they got Tony Todd to sign at a convention oh, or something. <laughs> I've totally joked about that where I've like written paper like you know pop culture related papers and been like yeah if I could ever meet so and so at a convention yeah. or something I'd get them to sign my term paper. Yeah, so, and they, so I, um, I love that that happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so they did that and that's fucking cool. Um but they also turn me on to like anything Clive Barker or horror uh like I saw books of blood and dread because of them and Mm. all that so this was cool Mm -hmm. um and it's not like i wasn't aware of their undying love for this movie i just for some reason it took me forever to fucking see it it happens Um, (laughs) happens the best of us but there is a very uh strong element of class at work in this movie absolutely um most notably because the setting is centered around the uh, infamous Cabrini Green projects of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of loved the way they doubled up the swanky, ritzy apartment that the main character lives in with the Cabrini Green mm-hmm. projects where it's like, oh, this building is the exact same layout because it was made as the projects, but then they decided to renovate it and upscale it and yeah, sell they, it like, for it's more. Yeah, like, it's like the gentrified product yeah, projects, the, essentially. Yeah, basically. And uh, that's... They turned it into luxury con- apartments I and fucking condos. love that turn in it when mm-hmm. the, that reveal happens because it says so much mm-hmm. about the way stuff is where it's like let's just leave it in squalor and shit for people that are poor and we don't care about but then let's upscale it and sell it to richer people to make a profit on them too mm-hmm. and like it's just like 
And displace the people that were originally there. Yeah, yeah, because it was built as a project, and then they're yeah. like, oh, wait, we can get more money what? from richer people By out of it. revitalizing the So let's do that. And it's like cheap revitalizations, too, because mm-hmm. the, the plant's the same. They have the thing where it's like if you take the mirror off the wall, you can see like the hole into the next into apartment. It's yeah. still fucking there. <laughs> yeah. And that's part of the Boogeyman Horror Story with Candyman, where yeah. they say, like, came through the mirror in the wall. And mm-hmm. this is still, like, a blind spot in the new apartment. Yep. <laughs> but, you know, it's like that, pay... they're just like, it's a blind spot to our customers, so mm-hmm. we don't have to deal with it. Because mm-hmm. it could be a like sort of willing blind spot. I could see cutting corners and yeah. whatnot because they can. It's funny though because that leads to one of my favorite jump scares in a movie ever. We've got the old tried and true. And by tried and true, I mean overly trite and done to death mirror <laughs> gag where someone right. looks into the mirror. They look down, the camera pans down, and when it pans up, there's someone standing right behind them. Mm-hmm. Like we've seen this so many times. I really love this one in that they're looking in the mirror. And they look down, and when they look up, there's no one there yet. And they turn and think that someone's behind them. And that's when uh, Kenny Man smashes through the mirror in front of yes. them. <laughs> it's like, rather than do the whole, like, oh, open the medicine cabinet and shut, and they're yeah, there, all of a sudden yeah. they come out of the mirror. Yeah, it and with your expectations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was a great little moment. It is. It's clever. Um, but that digresses from the uh, class thing, because we get the story where we've got these... PhD candidates, these people doing their doctorates on... It's a doctorates or master's? I'm not I don't sure. They're they graduate they're students. They're grad students of some <laughs> kind. Um, and they're researching urban legends. And so they go to the most urban place in their city to yes. do this legend. There were giant scare quotes around mm-hmm. that phrasing. Yeah. Um, and the legend that specifically has a murder case that it's, it's tied up in it and implicated. Like yeah, episode. tied to a real murder. Yeah, yeah, because like in our urban myth episode, we talk about how, I think we mentioned how, you, you know, the Bloody Mary myth, which this one kind of like plays Yeah, this off is of. the Clive Barker version of the yeah, Bloody Mary myth. how so many people grow up thinking like, oh yeah, no, Bloody Mary. Yeah, that's based off of a girl from like just one town over from me. Yeah. It happened to a friend of a friend of mine. Exactly, and you think it's this local thing when it's not, whereas in this case, it's specifically a murder took place at an identifiable location in Cabrini Green. They have the news clippings. They have the room clippings. number, they, they have the news clippings, they yeah. have the police report, like, you know, they have all this information with them. They have, wit- well, not witnesses to the crime, but witnesses who, like, knew the woman yeah. and stuff, who lived with her. But there's an identifiable person who was harmed. Yes, and, and how the residents all associate it with this this mythological character that is supposedly haunt kind of you know haunting the the grounds or whatever and so it's not just like an you know in the abstract sense or in terms of um you know myths acting as some kind of like pedagogical tool to teach teach values or warnings or morals it's actually like a very real thing that adults and children alike are living with well, that's in a local context. You're talking about local context and like identifiable people to point to is that there is a character who takes up the Candyman myth that's already mm-hmm. percolating and is like part of the like local crime element, and they call themselves the Candyman and sort of they, yeah, they exploit that fear yeah. that's already there and use it to their advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's a good point. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so we have these rich. I mean, rich enough to go to a fucking grad school in the States, presumably not on scholarships because they have these fucking swank-ass apartments. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what, her her partner is like... I think he's already a, a professor. He's a professor there. Like, he's already yeah. done his degree yeah. and presum- he's presumably a doctor. He probably has tenure because that yeah. was a thing back then. Yeah, so, so yeah, you she, know... She's well off. They've got money. And they go to this place and... It looks, and, you know, it's just, like, they're going into the scary, spooky, unknown other, and it's just the lower-class community. Mm-hmm. And but they stand out like sore thumbs. Like, yeah. the um, the other student, I believe she's a black woman. Yeah. And is saying, because, you know, Cabrini Green is obviously not just, like, a very poor area, but a very racialized, very racialized area. Yes. Like, that, that's one thing this movie does, is it combines, you know, the, it recognizes that poverty is often racialized. I will point out that I'm not sure how much of what is true from reality and all that stuff. Like, I don't know how much of the research for the movie based on Cabrini Green is yeah, accurate. Enough. Based um, on just, like, what little, you know, what I know about Chicago, period. Like, it, it tracks. Yes. It definitely tracks. I'm not trying to say, like, mm-hmm. oh, that's just fictionalized. No- yeah. Nothing like that. But uh, if we are speaking out of sort, we're going off the um, Candyman version of 
Cabrini. Yeah, recognizing yes. that it was a real place yes. that existed or mm-hmm. existed in Chicago because I believe it. You when you looked at it, said it had been since been like demolished and or redeveloped. I believe so. Yeah. So anyway, came, um, came true. So as someone who has, I at, at least, you know, she's still in this sort of like more middle class. Up, academia sphere the the other grad student she's black and and so having that sort of i guess you know kind of like racialized connection at least she uh, she's telling the, the main character like you can't dress like that you look like a fucking cop like yeah you know you, you gotta like pay you, you can't just you know waltz into this place and assume you'll fit right in or that people will be willing i'm to an academic <laughs> i'm an yeah i'm here to study you yeah. i'm a neutral objective ethnographer or and she oh. so she so she's <laughs> pr- kind of like cluing her in being like hey like you know, Chicago is one of the cities in the state. Well, I mean, the whole states. So let's be real, but Chicago, especially, that does the police do not have a good track record, especially mm. with racialized people, especially, especially with black people, yep. in terms of like just awful treatment mm. and completely unethical practices and stuff. Mm-hmm. So she's like, so you can't just like walk into this place looking like a fucking cop, yeah, because like you. It's not going to go well. You're going to scare everybody yeah. off and it's going to defeat the purpose of us even like going yeah. to do our research and try and find people to talk to. But then stuff. doesn't she also use that to her advantage where she's like, they think we're cops, so we'll be okay. That's true. Yeah. They like she uses us. that power dynamic to That's her advantage. It's like, yeah. they think we're cops. Like, I think she says that at one point. It's like, right. it's okay. They think we're cops. Yeah. They're not, they're not going to like try anything. Yeah. It's exactly. It's yeah, like they that, have that point. power hold. So they fucking use it, yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's like. What so does that to, say? Mm, yeah, trying to and, and they're trying they're trying to find that balance between like, okay, how do we look cop like cop enough that like they won't try to like fuck with us, but at the same time not so copish that they will refuse to even like open the yeah. door for us. So. I feel like, you know, it's just one of those sort of like hello fellow teens kind of moments when they walk up in yeah. there. Hello fellow urban youths. That sort of dynamic in this movie is the main one for me as far as class goes mm-hmm. is the, the stark uh, contrast between them and just, yeah yeah how um but it is interesting how the Candyman mythos plays out where you know this has been going on forever like that she's talking she mentions it in her research and uh a woman who works on the janitorial custodian staff uh is just like Candyman. i know that I know that case. I remember when that happened, and she's the one that first clues them into it. She, of course, is yeah. Does she give them the contact yep. information? Like, oh, go yeah, she's my friend. Presumably lower class because she's working a custodial mm-hmm. job compared to these. We are students attending this prestigious school. We're going to become um, scholars. She's black yeah. too, so there's that racialized component there too, mm-hmm. and um, she mentions it like almost blasé, like yeah, this is a thing that's happened. You know, everyone knows about it, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, just take it for granted. And like. people, it's just been so shush, shush, and brush mm-hmm. and rug until this white academic, more upper class person suddenly is tangled in the Candyman thing, yeah, and then all of a sudden there's stakes. Yeah, it's like no one gave a fuck about the stakes. Like they even tell the story of some kid being castrated in yeah, a like bathroom, a and it's just like that's just to add to the mythos and fear. But it's like, did anything come of that? Yeah, did they like do it? Did they make any effort to find? Like that basically recalls like disturbing fucking images of like lynching totally, and stuff like yeah, that, and absolutely. it's just like. Nope, that's that's a thing. But it just did it just get written off as black on black crime? Yeah. So oh, the boogeyman that Yeah. It's gross. And um, <laughs> another thing with it sort of like nobody you know, nobody gives a shit about Candyman is um when they're at dinner with that other scholar guy and they're kind of oh, talking about their research that douchebag yeah. yeah and he's like oh i fucking did it. published on candy man 10 years ago that's old fucking oh, hat bitches oh, 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 oh. like i'm gonna sip my brandy while i laugh at oh, you oh, in your face this i already published on that you think you're good Super as a grad burn. student i'm a tenured professor and a white man with a penis presumably <laughs> oh. <laughs> exactly so yeah you get that sense that not only does no one give a shit but it's like giving a shit was so like decades ago like this is why are you even bothering with that with those people mm-hmm. and their concerns? Right. But yeah, as you said, you know, once a once a white woman and she even points this out, you know, once a white woman gets attacked in the context of you know in this location and stuff, all of a sudden the police are so quick to respond and so yeah. quick to give a shit. I do like that they actually point at that yeah. in the movie rather than just it being something that we're pointing at that's fucked up about yeah, the movie. Yeah, no, I remember her specifically saying she's like it's so, you know, she's like so fucked up that like. You know, yeah. a, a kid fucking gets castrated and nothing comes of it, but a white woman gets 
you know, mugged or attacked in the public, you know, yeah. whatever. And the police there, like, like that. And yeah. just that, oh my God, we have to find out who did this. And they do find the culprit. And, yeah. you know, it's this Candyman imposter kind of guy yeah. who's very much a real crime doer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For lack of a better word, that's just what came out. So. And then um, she gets in trouble with the law and mm-hmm. institutionalized, but it's only when the Candyman commits violence in her upper crust community and she takes the blame for it. Like, it's the right. kind of thing where it's like, it has to hit the middle or higher class. Yeah. For It's like, oh, we can't just sweep this under the rug. We have to find someone yeah, we that we can point. Yeah, we can't just, like, let you out on bail. Yeah, we have to find someone we can point at, you know? Yeah. So, uh... Yeah, one of the things that um, was pointed out in, I think it was in Horror Noir, which mm, is on Shudder. The documentary, yes, yeah, which yes, Which we talked yes. a little bit about. Go see it if you haven't seen it yet. It's fantastic. Is, hey, you don't have to go see it. It can come to you. Yeah, yeah, you it's don't have to streaming. go anywhere. <laughs> exactly. Um, was that, that's kind of, the, the fact that Candyman specifically haunts and fucks with other poor black people is kind of where the they like you kind of stop being able to suspend disbelief because it's like why would he be doing that they didn't yep. do anything to him so why especially with his backstory yeah where it's just like this is a guy born of black slaves in america who is lynched for falling in love with a white, white woman, woman. And uh, while there is hints that maybe he had some sense of standing within that well, he sort was, of he was cast, an artist, right? So, but he, I mean, you yeah. know, that's like it is within that like subjugated it, it's, kind yeah, of it's, structure. It's a very um, like contingent on yes. staying in their good books. It's it's yeah. not privilege so much as it is what's the word? Oh my god, I just encountered it yesterday. Conditional social capital. Yes, yes. Yeah, that it's... Cause That's it's not three words, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's not something that, it, you know, it's not the same as, like, white privilege. Like, I'm, oh, I'm always going to have that because I'm white. But, you know, say, for example, if I have, you know, what people call thin privilege, it's like that's conditional on the fact that I would maintain a certain... Appearance yeah, that's conditional on on being thin. Exactly. If, if you're no longer thin, you no longer have. You no that. longer have that social capital. Yeah. So it's not something that's inherent and un. Or I don't say unearned because, but it's not something that's like an inherent given that's always going to be with you. Yes. The same way that like, you know, for that your, your race, for example, would yeah. or that um, you know, for cis people, your sex and yeah. your red, the gender you're red as would. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, and it's, so, like, the second he transgresses what's acceptable, yes. all of a sudden he no longer has that capital. Exactly. And he's he's lynched for it in yeah. a really horrific way. So, yeah, the fact that he kind of hangs around haunting and, like, seemingly seeking revenge, but on people of his his class, and I mean that in a way, in sort of like a Marxist way of, of like, his sharing the material conditions, not just his social class, but, like, the racialized class, too, yeah. like, his specific demographic i guess yeah you could also say it's like why would he what's the logic behind like that? you think he would be haunting the cabrini green that is now the luxury condo to- exactly right totally like he yeah you think he'd be haunting someone who better represents the people who lynched him yeah you, you one would think you, yeah, so so that's kind of where they point out they're like yeah that's where you can tell the the whiteness of the uh, filmmakers yeah. came in it's like yeah yeah, I was thinking that too when I watched this. When they mentioned that, I'm like, yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> so that is a one thing that kind of um, complicates our, our kind of reading, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that that is definitely interesting, I guess. <laughs> That's a way to put it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's reflective of a you know standpoint based blind spot of the the filmmakers, I suppose. Right. If nothing else, so. No. Would you still recommend this movie to horror fans? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a it's a good one. Um, Fair warning, I've I've said this to you before. I don't know if you remember me saying it, but I'm pretty sure that Tony Todd, well, Tony Todd, Tony, I'm pretty sure that Tony Todd's voice in this movie has the ability to get you pregnant. I'm I haven't you know I'm not positive, but I think it's a possibility. So be warned going in. So watch this movie with birth control is what you're saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like, make sure where you know where you are in your cycle, like, just in case. <laughs> okay. Hot take from, from That's my, Aria. that's, yeah, my Aria. hot bisexual take. 
I love it. I'm here for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> shit. And so with, with Candyman, um, another interesting thing about class and the sort of um, interaction between this the two very sort of different um, worlds, I guess, existing within the same city, um, is how Ellen, that's the main character. Helen. Helen, sorry. Yes, Helen, the, our, our main uh, white, pretty blonde lady who... Yeah, Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> Helen. Um, how as she enters more into, you know, Candyman's world and he takes an interest in her and says, you know, come be mine and stuff. Be my victim. Be my victim, yes. My very terrible impression. Be my victim. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, neither of of those impressions will get you pregnant, so. No. Just watch the real thing. Anyway, uh, (laughs) as she moves more into this world, the people of... Her, her own social class and her own sort of, um, you know, academia and everything, they begin to, like, abandon her, especially yeah. as she's implicated in these, you know, really brutal crimes and stuff. The people that she knows and trusts, they, they're, they become few and far between. Yes. And it gets to the point where, you know, by the time she sort of has her really heroic arc and kind of, and, you know, is able to defeat Candyman, essentially... Um, she's, she's essentially alone. Like her partner's fucked off and like, you know, her best friend's dead Mm. and all this stuff. And so one of the really sort of, I think, moving scenes, it comes towards the end when, you know, spoiler alert, because she kind of, this is a self-sacrifice thing where, um, she kind of has to sacrifice herself to save the baby and to defeat Candyman. And become sort of a folk hero now, this, you know, woman who is like, say, you kind of like protected them from Candyman. Yeah. And, um, is that at the end at her funeral, you have like nobody there because, you know, she was this killer. She was this, you know, she's almost, yeah, she's a social pariah. She's almost like a class traitor. Yeah. But then as the funeral's go, going, there's, you know, like maybe her ex there and like the priest, there's like nobody there. All yeah. of a sudden they look up and they see the entire Cabrini Green community like, this huge group of people is walking in, and this huge, like, visibly racialized group of yeah. people is walking in with flowers and stuff, and, like, they're showing up for her. And so I thought that was, like, a just such a, like, great image of sort of, like, class solidarity. Whereas- but I, I find that moment a difficult one to read because it's also, at the same time, when they walk up... Uh, the kid, he's carrying Candyman's hook, and he throws right. it down to her. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where it's just like, why are they showing up exactly? Like, is yeah. it supposed to be solidarity, or is it supposed to be, like, they're casting back the weapon, and, like, the legend is going to continue, and there's right. that sort of, like, That's a good fearful point. And then, distance. Yeah, and then there's also that complication of, like, that sort of, like, white savior-ness, yeah. where they, you know, they needed a white woman to come in and save yeah. them kind of thing. So, like... On the one hand, g- given that she, act, you know, there's a sort of, like, class transgression and class leadership yeah. from, from, like, I guess just specifically a class perspective, if we're going to do that terrible thing that intersectionality has us, you know, wants us not to do. Where apparently we ignore Where we separate race and class from, like, just, like, a class thing. It's like, she showed up for us, and now we're showing up for her, and that's yeah. a really great moment of, like, solidarity to me. Like, I found it really moving both times yeah. when I watched it. But at the same time, yeah, when you you know, take off your privilege lens that lets you separate these things. It's like, yeah, it's really complicated by this white savior. Yeah. By what you pointed out where it's like, it's like, how much are they showing up for? And how much is it for? Like, Oh, here's, finally, this is done. Yeah, like, this there's the evil. The evil now lies with her, right? Kind of thing. Yeah, because because like, you know he's saying, which it turns out it does. Yes, yeah, you know, be my victim, come be with like you know she's sort of this. Um, like avatar for yeah. the w- woman he was in love with that but he then was lynched over. So. We get the end sting where yes. where her husband, her ex, is just like saying says her name five times in the mirror, mm-hmm. and then she comes out of the mirror, and yeah. it's just like. <laughs> I'd like to think that she just like she's like the uh, evil myth, urban legend ma- patron no, matron matron saint of like scorned women and she'll just like show see up. I'm totally into yeah, that I'm, I'm, like, I'm like I'd like to think she'll just show up and like fuck up your, your shitty ex maybe I, I like that <laughs> that's I like what I movie. took away from it it was like yeah fuck that guy fuck okay. that shithead <laughs> huh. so but yeah who knows like because they seem to revere her like you have this mural at the end where she's like this venerated looking yeah. figure almost kind of saintly 
So it, it almost makes you. But at you the w- same time, there was that same. Mu- there was a mural of Candyman. Right. And he was not venerated. He was feared. He was. But the imagery is so different. Like That's the Candyman true. stuff all looks so. It's scary. It's like the huge head that yeah. they go through the mouth. Whereas her, yeah. she's like she's like elevated. She's like she looks transcendent. Like she, you, you get the more impression that mm. they're pres- they're portraying this sort of like savior, like almost like right. Christ like or Madonna like figure. With her, it's much more, yeah, like heavenly as opposed mm-hmm. to hellish and scary. So. It almost makes you wonder then if if Candyman is for whatever reason sticking around and haunting his class that he came from. Maybe now she's like the Candyman, but of the upper middle class, which I can pull for. Which for I'm sure. here for, <laughs> yeah. Ex boyfriends or otherwise, yeah. It's like, yeah, now you guys get a ghost. Either Fuck way, I, I think there's a couple <laughs> ways to read this ending, and it's Absolutely. pretty complicated when you look it at really it in is. multiple ways. Uh, but that's Candyman. I definitely recommend it. Absolutely, you definitely recommend Me too. it. It's yep. It's a good one. Um, it's a gooder. If for nothing else, Ted Raimi. Oh, yeah. I always forget his name. <laughs> <laughs> Just yes! the random Ted Raimi-ness. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very little, but he's there. He's there. Um, it's true. Okay, okay. So our next movie that we watched was 1987's Street Trash, which definitely lives up to the second part of that name. Yeah. Yeah, this was... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I had seen this a few times in my youth, and mm-hmm. then I hadn't seen it for years, and oh lordy, how much adulthood and, you know, some sense of awareness can change a take yeah. on a movie. Because <laughs> uh, I just remember this being, like, crass splatter fun right. kind of thing, but then looking at some of it, it just... Some of it gave me pause this time. That was just like... Yeah, where you're just like, oh, ooh, okay. <laughs> this was a first-time watch for you. Yes. What did you think of it? it like, like, like you said, it, like, it was fun, but it was, it was, it was weird. Yeah. Like, I remember um, the storyline, it kind of, it kind of goes off on tangents. Yeah, you have this plot, and then the plot kind of just peters out, and it does its own shit for most of the rest of the movie, and then at the very end, it's like, oh yeah, we had a plot, and just comes yeah, back yeah, to Yeah, yeah, and it. that was so, like, weird. Yeah, and it's not like it's a super long movie, so the no. fact that it's as unfocused as it is yeah, is kind of yeah. strange. It really is, yeah. So that, I found that kind of um, odd and like discombobulating about yeah. it. But yeah, when you take it at face value, that it's just like a low budget, ridiculous, goofy, yeah, you know, of its time kind of movie. It's mm-hmm. like no complaints, I guess. Like <laughs> it is what it is, you know. Is just don't go in with. Go in with the correct expectations and you won't Go be in knowing you're watching an 80s movie called Street Trash yeah. and you will be good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the plot of this one is this dude who runs a liquor store. Presumably this is set in New York. Like, Aren't they all? Like a very New York-esque kind of city, mm-hmm. you know? Um, maybe it's set somewhere else and I'm like explicitly and I'm misremembering, but... It, it was, it was... I got that New York vibe it, from it. Uh, yeah, if it wasn't explicitly New York, it was definitely trying to emulate that kind yeah. of... Uh, gritty city kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, gritty city setting. Yeah, um, this guy, he has a liquor store that is not in the most favorable part of town. It seems that he gets a lot of uh, the homeless and poor people coming through his store, much to his chagrin. Anyway, he's one day looking around in the basement of his shop, just rummaging around there for some reason, when he busts open the wall for some reason, and he finds a crate down there for some reason. Lots of some Lots reasons. Of some reason. Yeah. Um, he so finds this crate, and when he opens it, there's all these weird ass little bo- bottles of booze called Tenafly Viper, and he's just like, "The fuck is this shit? I have no idea." Whatever. So he decides to stick them up by the register and sell them for a dollar a bottle to the homeless. Just like, all right, if these guys come in that don't have much money and they want to buy booze, Let's they can buy shit this. Found in the basement. Yeah. Um, what happens when they drink this? Problem is when they drink the stuff, it causes them to melt and or explode. Yeah, like like in like day glow paint bright colors. Like, <laughs> like we get one person who explodes who's just like chock full of ham, it looks like. Yeah, that's and then right. we get another guy that's sitting on the crapper and just turns into blue and green. Like acrylic goo. looking yeah. paint. <laughs> it's like if someone fucking got like a play doh enema and just went too far <laughs> with it, you know? Yes. I felt like the homeless were a giant joke 
in this movie mm. for so much of it like they are the main yeah. characters and there is empathy built for them to an extent mm-hmm. but they never rise above being something to laugh at totally in this movie and, and that, very much in like a ha oh, there look at these stupid homeless people yeah. doing like stupid homeless things and that's not the extent of the funny stuff they do like they do have agency and there are some character arcs that happen that go beyond that like there's love stories there's stuff like that mm-hmm. and it's that's not the entirety of the joke, but I feel like it's so much of the joke that that kind of yeah, they're off the butt of the joke. I found that a little disconcerting this time. Like, I mean, yeah. I kind of knew what to expect, but it was just like, oh yeah, that's really this movie is we're just gonna fucking laugh mm-hmm. at point and laugh poor people. <laughs> I mean, it is in such a overblown, yeah, exaggerated way, right? But you know, there's people living in so-called squalor people that don't have homes people that have to do things to survive and it's like that's the joke that's funny you know i think we'll talk about this a lot as different themes emerge but you know it's not to say that you can never laugh about this kind of stuff for sure especially if it's someone coming from that kind of background or experience that Mm -hmm. is you know poking fun at their own you know speaking you know truth to their own thing and then they're not punching down yeah if it, you know, the same way that like, you know, you have comedians who mm-hmm. will make excellent jokes about, you know, you'll have like women, their marginalized, experience. their marginalized experiences, yeah, and but they're not punching down. Well, I think that I guess that's what I'm saying is it feels like a lot of the time this movie is punching. It is punching down, down yeah. So yeah, it's not to say that you you can't do that without punching down, but when it feels like it is, and also when that's like the only really representation you see, it doesn't really feel like, like, you know, like a honest representation so much as just like propaganda. Yeah. And a repetition of a particular way of viewing things. I mean, you do have to look at this movie as sort of an exercise in bad taste. Mm -hmm. Um, It is a movie called Street Trash about exploding bombs, basically, to put it as crassly as you can. Totally. Um, But that said, there, I always like to think of the John Waters edict of yeah. there's good bad taste and bad bad taste. Exactly. And the question comes, like, I feel like this kind of wavers between the two. Right. Like, at times, it's bad taste, but it's really funny. Like, there's one sequence in particular that always has me giggling like a, like a child, and that's the penis keep-away scene. When the dude is taking a leak through the hole in the fence, and he <laughs> accidentally pisses on the... Uh, the guy who's like king of the junkyard and so he cuts his wanger off and then throws it to someone else and then they're just throwing it back and forth and this like vaudevillian tune plays as he's trying to catch his severed dick and they're just throwing it back and forth and eventually he catches it while jumping onto the back of a school bus full of kids and he's just hanging off the back holding a severed dick and all these kids are screaming on the bus like that part I felt like that was hilarious and that was good bad taste but then at the same time when you depict the homeless living in the junkyard as a roving rape gang. Yeah. That, that's pretty bad. That was taste. fucked up. Yeah. Um, it's fucked up to depict it in a way that's like used for comedy and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this movie kind of leaned into that a little too much for my taste. Like there's this yeah. one sequence where the main love interest is fending off the advances of her boss. I remember but that. But it's so aggressive yeah. and played up as like a big old jokey like, oh, jaunty this is so time. Funny. And it's just basically this guy trying this to, huge to rape guy, his employee. Like he can physically overpower her. Like it's not that it would make it okay, so but it's bad. not even just flirting or like gross yeah. comments. It's straight up he's trying he's to force on himself on top he's, of yeah, her. Yeah, like it's 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 incredibly uncomfortable. And it's clearly supposed to be like, oh, look at this oaf. Look at this guy. And And then, of course, his comeuppance comes up when after uh, a woman who I cannot remember if she's supposed to be a sex worker or not, but she goes back to the junkyard with the main dude who passes out. Mm -hmm. And then she gets attacked by the roving rape gang. And we find her dead naked on the shore in the morning. Oh, dead hooker is so funny. Yeah, and it's also supposed to fill in like what happened to her kind of thing. Right. He sees her and... Then it's inferred that he goes and does necrophilia. Love it. And yeah. he gets an STD from so, it. Well, at least I got my, you know, I, I didn't get it in before, but at yeah. least I can still get what I came for. And it's like this crass humor, like the whole movie is crass humor, but there's just this run feels so fucking weird to me to like it's, try it's and gross. sit through, yeah. you know? It's, it's gross. It's, because it just seems like status quo affirming propaganda at that yeah. point. It's not being transgressive in any way. Yeah. It's being edgelordy for sure, but it's yeah. not being like it doesn't have anything to say other than like 
yes, this is funny, keep yeah. doing this. We pose no challenge or question to the status quo. Yeah. And it's stuff like that that keeps me so conflicted about this movie because the makeup effects, they're super cheesy, but in a really fun mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, the st- When it does stay on the track of the melting booze <laughs> plotline, I find this movie quite entertaining. Yeah. And the camera work is fantastic. Like, there's some great mm-hmm. steady cam shots in this movie. Right. And, uh... For something so low budget and, like, done on the fly, it's just kind of amazing how good the camera looks yeah, in this. Yeah, absolutely. And so, it's a weird fucking movie to sit through. Yeah. But I remember being highly entertained by it as, like, a shitty teenager kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that nuance was lost on me. And so, watching it now, it's just like, whoa. Whoa, yikes. Whoa, pump the brakes. There's, There's a, a lot to unpack here. That'll be a yikes for me. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> So I don't know what to make of it anymore, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's complicated at best. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I Ambivalent. think that that's fair. Like, I mm-hmm. mean, there's still stuff I love about this movie, and there's still stuff I do not care for about this movie. Yeah. Or there's now stuff that I do not care for about right. this movie. As far as class goes, beyond what we've said, with the, you know, treatment of homeless people and all that stuff, I don't feel like there's anything deep. There is, Whatsoever. Like, it, it's like not class, that kind of movie. Yeah, being, having classed, visibly classed people in class as like a visible present thing that's being referred to. Yeah, there's nothing uh, really being done with it other than kind of just poking fun at it, it seems. Uh, did you have anything else you want to say on Street Trash? Admittedly, we did watch this about a month ago, yeah, so say, there's a, a little... bit of a space yeah. for us. I got nothing. I okay. think even I remember watching it being like, ah, I don't know if I would have tons like, compared to like Candyman and stuff. I, I don't think have the much reason to say I picked it was for how different of a depiction yeah, it was. Yeah, and that's good, like to have variety. That, that was specifically we why like I to picked do that. that. Makes um, things more interesting. Okay, well, our our last movie is one that we watched very recently, and we've both seen this before, and I fucking love, love this movie. We watched Chud from 1984. Um. I fucking love this movie. <laughs> Me too. It's so great. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to say before we dive into the class stuff is I love how legit the main dude yes! is. The photographer dude. Yes. Where he's just like, his partner reveals that she's pregnant and she's just like, I talked to the doctor and he told me what to expect if we were going to have the baby or the alternative. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? She's like, I don't know. And it's like, well, whatever you want to do, it's your decision. He's like, it's your body. It's your decision. She's yeah. like, well, well, like, don't you want to have a say? He's like, well, sure. But I mean, ultimately, it's your decision. Yeah. And like the only time his say comes into it when is when it's phrased as just like, if I said I want to have the baby, would you want to have the baby? And when she's like, yes, he's like, let's it's, do it then. He's like, okay, then. But he, yeah, just... he, he's so just like, you know, I, my desire, he's like, you know, clearly he's like, oh. Like, I'm sure he has, like, a stake in it, but he recognizes, like... It's her autonomy. I'm gonna stay in my fucking lane yeah. and rec- and recognize, you know, her boundaries, her body autonomy, and respect that. And I, I remember this noticing is that... a movie from 84. Right? <laughs> and, I, yeah, like, right in, like, sort of, like, Reagan backlash 80s, so it's, like, it's so unexpected. I loved it. But um, I know I remember noticing that my first time watched, because this was my second time. Mm-hmm. Um, I also noticed this time, or I picked up on it more, I guess, was um, when they're doing this photo shoot at the beginning yeah. for this perfume ad, and he's just like, oh, this is fucking ridiculous, this is so... And she's like, is it because... Because he's a photographer and she's a model. And and they're in and, a relationship. Yeah, and they're in a relationship. And she's like, is it because I'm posing nude? And he's like, no, that comes with the territory of your job. That's fine. What I'm mad about is the fact that they're, like, objectifying you and using your nude body to sell this product. <laughs> and it's just like, man, what a, what a woke dude. Like, feminist icon. Yeah, I want to high-five this dude. Totally. And hang out with yeah, him. he's just like, no, that's, like, it's fine if other people see you naked. I don't give a shit. I don't possess you. But the fact that they are, like, using you like a commodity... I don't, I'm not and down with that. And you think it's going to go another way, too, because he walks in and she's putting makeup on her ass. Mm-hmm. And he's like, why are you putting makeup on your ass? He's like, I got a pimple. So why are you putting makeup on your ass? That's where the pimple is. And he's just yeah. like, wait, what are you wearing this ad? I thought it was a perfume ad. And she's like, yeah, I'm wearing perfume. Yeah. And it's one of those things where you think it's then going to go into that, like, I'm the jealous boyfriend yeah, kind totally, of thing. And it fucking does much? How often does that, how many women do you see, like, immediately comes into my mind, Christy Mack, who several years ago, she's a... Uh, I don't think I don't know if she, I don't think know if she does it anymore, but she at least at the time was a per- porn performer. Mm-hmm. Perhaps had retired at that point. I honestly don't remember. But her then I guess ex, he broke into her house, assaulted her, and beat her almost to death along with her new boyfriend. And it was very much in this like 
jealous like you know you're such a whore because not only are you with another man now but you also like put your body out there and get fucked on camera and it's like this this gross that sort of like toxic masculinity of like oh yeah I want the hottest babe who I want that porn star to be my girl but then once that's that you're actually in the context of a relationship this jealousy develops like no one else can have her but me and yeah it's, it's so it's gross it's possessive it's it's just it's fucked up yeah so to see a guy who's like not that jealous boyfriend he's like no man like that's your job i don't give a shit like go yeah. for it girl it's yeah like, he that's seems, so cool he, and like it's being put out at his more because he's like i don't want to do this stupid photo yeah, shit yeah he's like i don't want to you know he's he's like doing this photo- perfume smells like cheap shit <laughs> yeah he's like you know i i don't do fashion photography anymore i'm like a photojournalist now like i want to do stuff that matters this is so just like bourgeois bullshit. and then what wins him over to actually do it is she's like okay but you're not doing it for them you're doing it for me and my and, job and he's just like shit you got me there that's right he's like yes your job is important too it's just as important as mine you need a livelihood you are a working career woman and i support you and it's like i love this you know legends only exactly um (laughs) oh we stan but as far as the class part goes um chud do you want to give a little brief encapsulation of what chud is about yeah um or give us a setup yeah so what what is chud well chud we are Led to believe stands for cannibalistic humanoid underground dweller because you have these monsters appearing in the city that are snatching people. And how do people notice up. the monsters are going missing? Are they are causing people to go missing? Or yeah, how do they know that the monsters is a problem? Well, so um, the police chief, his wife goes missing, mm-hmm. and he starts investigating, and it's brought to his attention that at by this point several homeless people have gone missing and uh, nothing's really been done or investigated about it because, you know, they're assumed to be a high-risk, transient population. They come and mm-hmm. go as they please. We can't do anything. And I love how the Reverend character calls him out on this. It's like, you're not just... The captain's not here twice in one day just because some homeless people went missing. Yeah, he's like, like who what the fuck went missing? Like, did the fucking mayor go missing? Like, yeah, and who, it's who, until who he admits it's his act- wife yeah, that it's just yeah, like... Yeah, he's like, who that actually matters, in big scare yeah. quotes, went missing that you guys are suddenly dedicating time, resources, manpower yeah. to investigating this. Because it sure is hell within us, and we know that. Mm. And yeah, so that that that's called out right there. But yeah, you have these these people that are uh, these homeless people that are not just living on the street; they're living underground in the sewers. Yeah, because that's just like living in, in absolute squalor. That's yeah. the only place they can find refuge is mm-hmm. underground in, in people's sewage. shit. Yeah. Essentially, yeah, like but not just on the like below ground subterranean. We're living in the same place that we send all of our refuse without even thinking. And so, yeah, you get this converging investigation where all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, this, you know, like the police chief comes to recognize the humanity of these people. And is like, yeah, we, there's a big fucking problem here. We need to actually like go and see what's going on and uncover, you know, why, why is the government investigating and harassing all these people in this area? Why are we getting sightings of monsters coming up and snatching people why why does this one homeless man have a giant bite taken out of his leg like what the hell did that come from that didn't come from a sewer rat yeah and all these questions for these secretive like bureaucratic government you know energy department fucks and then the government who are they like EPA or whatever the the government assholes the department of energy fuckos yeah they're they're um they don't care that this is happening they care that there is proof that they knew this was happening yeah because even in the meeting the, the like the i think it was the police chief or the commissioner one of the, they're like you know you have instructed us to ignore the fact that these homeless people have gone missing and there there are too many people missing now we can't keep ignoring this yeah. like you need to give us some answers what the hell is going on here yeah and what do you know about this and what can we do to stop it yeah and yeah, they reveal this, uh, this, in this, uh, aberration, this supposedly one-off creature down yeah, there. Yeah, this one chud. This one chud who is just, you know, cannibalizing human beings. Well, that's a funny thing, cannibalistic humanoid. So it's like, if he's cannibalistic, why doesn't he just eat other humanoids? Yeah, why isn't the chud just eating other chuds? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Isn't that what it needs to be? But then at the same time, when they, they're doing the autopsy on the body, when they kill the one and say, this is the one and only, they say it used to be human. Yeah, they do. So there's some kind of... And later we do see that, that yeah, dude got bit that's right. turning into a chud. Because um, the appearance of the chud and everything is associated with, like, um, huge 
waves of radiation. Yeah, radiation spikes. Yeah, yeah radiation spikes on the on the Geiger meter that they find, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, various other shit that they find indicating there's some some shit going down in those sewers that the government is not letting them in on. Yeah, and um, so they yeah, there's we get this uh, plot to kill the chuds. Kill the chuds. To kill the threat. And, um, of course, you get this, this, this lovely sort of, um, this deadline structure where you have our, our two, two of our protagonists trapped down in the series yeah. while they're being filled up with gas to, like, ex- you know, ignite the chuds. So they have to escape in time. But while they're down there, they stumble upon this, like, dumping ground of toxic waste. Yeah. And they find out the chud, what it, the re- that acronym really stands for, was something, something urban disposal. Something yeah, hills like, urban disposal? Con- t- contamination hazards. hazard. Okay, that's it, yeah. And that, you know, rather than s- saying that, oh, well, you know, there's some toxic material underground because these fucking eco-terrorist activists have been made it so we can't transport it, so it's just, you know, it's staying there under Manhattan. It turns out that they've actually been dumping toxic... Like, th- this is like the fucking, like, Camorra uh, organized crime group in southern Italy... That yeah. they they took on the the contracts to do the the toxic waste disposal, and rather than actually you know safely disposing of it, they just dumped it in the countryside. They gave it to farmers as fertilizer and shit. Now you have what is called I think the Triangle of Death, or, the tri- or something in in uh, in Campania and whatever, because the rate of birth defects and just like cancers and just all of these like radiation and chemical based exposure diseases and disorders just astronomically higher in the population than anywhere else in the country. Right. So yeah, it reminded me a lot of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just that, and that they've, they've put that there. They kept it secret. They know it's there. They know what it's doing. And, but they're not, there's no accountability. They're not doing anything about it. No. And only now that they risk being, being revealed, do they, are they trying to get rid of the problem as quietly as possible yes. in a way that does not implicate them or does not complicate their business dealings? Yeah. Because it doesn't matter when, like, what does he say? Like a dozen people went missing, like overnight, practically, mm-hmm. and no one gives a fuck because they're the sewer dwellers. Yeah, like this is news. no one even notices they're gone except yeah, for among themselves. Even though the reports have been filed, the captain doesn't realize it's even been an issue on their radar until he's there in person talking to the soup kitchen guy. Yeah, who says like, yeah, like several people that I know well have gone missing. Yeah, what he's and like, there's one is, survivor, and the dude has just like lost it. Yeah, and everyone else who's who's there, they you know they want guns, they want they want to defend themselves, like they know something is there. And mm-hmm. that they need to protect themselves against, and just like no one's taking it seriously. Yeah. And so the photojournalist, his stake in this is that he did uh, photographs for this article that went up about the homeless populations and the people that lived underground and all that kind of stuff in the past. I mean, he did this before. And, yeah, in the sort of um, recent past, it seems like yeah. he went underground for however many months and, like, yeah. lived, you know, almost like like an uh, anthropologist would, where yeah. you kind of, like, immerse yourself and live amongst them to study them kind of thing yeah. while becoming integrated into the community. And so it feels like this could be seen as exploitative because he uses it for his own financial gain, but at the same time, the people in the community generally seem to regard him well. Well, yeah, they, they trust him. And, yeah. and, like, when the one homeless lady gets arrested, he... You know, she, she calls won't, him. She won't say a word, but her, she uses her one phone call to call him and be like, hey, get me out of this. And yeah. she can count on him to do that. Yeah. So it's one of those things that there could be a bit of a complicated wedge there. But mm-hmm. at the same time, um, he, he seems fairly genuine. Yeah. Like he didn't just like get what he needed and then he's like never to be seen again. Yeah. Like he'll, he's still showing up for them and being like, hey, how can I help you? What's yeah. Because he here? cares. Like, yeah. um, he gets medical supplies and goes down to the sewers to bring them to the guy who is injured. Mm-hmm. The the bag lady's, um, as they call her, the bag yes, lady's uh, right. brother. Yeah. And yeah, so he, he's actually interested, like, he wants to know what's going on. And as he's learning more, he becomes more invested in it, of course. And he's trying to get to the bottom of, like, what the hell's going on? Why do these people want guns? What took a bite out of that guy's leg? Like what the fuck's going on here and what's happening to these people and yeah. how do we how do we protect them and how do we stop this yeah. from happening? Yeah, so Chud 
This was a movie that I liked when I first saw it as a mm-hmm. kid as like mindless fun, but I've grown to really enjoy it. Like Yeah, it's 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 a like it's a it's good a socially fucking movie. I like it. Movie. Yeah. And so much of what it talks about and stuff honestly even in the context of New York City where it takes place but also in so many other pla- like urban locations and big cities, so much of these issues of like displacement and homelessness yeah. and wealth disparities and you know, people who di- who who are seen as high risk and low value that disappear and nobody gives a shit. Like that's still going on today. Yep. Like I immediately think of like the missing and mid- missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls in Canada. Yeah, absolutely. How, you know, serial killers have got. You have like Picton who got away for years, like over yeah. a decade, because the women that he was targeting were seen as inherently disposable they were seen as high risk as transient you know nobody in power with resources gave a shit about them so when these communities say hey are like our women are going and missing at alarming rates oh well it's not connected they're you they're just high risk they're just they come and go as they please like we it's out of our hands and then all of a sudden we have this fucking like canada's most notorious serial killer who has spent over a decade abducting women and you know hiding the evidence by literally butchering their bodies and feeding it to his pigs yep so like it's just absolutely the dehumanization and just utter like disposability that we view indigenous women and specifically like those that are involved in sex work within this country is just fucking disgusting Mm -hmm. and absolutely like a national fucking shame yeah. And so I, and there are so many issues like that in North America and throughout the world, right? So that's just the one that's, you know, local to our context in Canada. Yeah. But yeah, like this is a, a relevant issue today. It was relevant then. It's, it's, it still rings true. It's definitely not one that feels like very dated or yeah. of its time or well, anything. Well, there's still the case going on about the dude who is killing gay dudes in Toronto's gay village. Mm-hmm. Um, often people of color. Uh, he was just killing people and the cops didn't do shit even though they knew there's a serial killer yeah the, the, commu- the gay community was saying like hey we we have men that keep going missing yeah um we, we think there's a serial killer and they got laughed at and they're like you guys you you gays are so like over dramatic like don't even worry and then and once then- they realize there's a serial killer they're like if only those homos had come and actually cooperated with us and talked to us, then maybe we would have caught him sooner. And they're like, we fucking tried. It drives me so up the wall about this fucking case. Because, yeah, people were coming forward and then they blamed the community for not coming forward. When they were ready to hear it. Yeah. Because at that point, it's like, well, you're, you're not listening to us, so why should we bother? And just think, it was just like... There's no serial killer. And then all of a sudden, oh, there's a serial killer. And weekly, they were like, oh, he killed another person. Oh, oh it turned out he killed victim. another person. Oh, another we found person. his latest victim. Yeah, it's it's just apps. And they wonder why a lot of people don't want to see uniformed police officers marching in pride. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder why. I wonder why so many people in the LGBTQ plus community feel unsafe with mm-hmm. that. Hmm. I guess we'll never know. Uh, no, it's a no? mystery for the ages. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, before we get completely bleak Preaching as the hell. Preaching the truth of ACAB. Yeah, let's... Uh, <laughs> That's let's, for another uh, Let's get to our recommendations. Let's. Yeah, okay. Um, this week, I am going to recommend Society from 1989. Mmm, spicy. This is one of my favorite movies dealing with class, specifically in that it's a weird... Oh, it's like Bacchanalian bougie nightmare. Weird rich people shit dialed up to 11. Yeah. Like, oh, I love Society. I really don't want to say much else about it. Because I've already spoiled this movie for one person, and that is my greatest regret, because this is a movie that when you see it, it's just like, the fuck? You have to see it to believe it. It's it's so worth watching. It's yeah. it's fantastic. Yeah, so watch I Society. Recommend, I second that recommendation. Cool, cool, cool. But for my own recommendation, I'm going to recommend uh, The Purge Anarchy. So this is the second movie in the Purge series. I know I've already recommended Purge stuff before. We have a Purge episode. I, still, I don't know if people get that you I don't like know the if purge. people get that I would die you know that is one of the hills that I will die on that the purge is fucking excellent <laughs> <laughs> um, that being said 
the this one you know I, I think we even said this in our we've talked about this before how the very the first purge no sorry not the first purge the first movie in the franchise purge one purge one this one og purge og purge like this deals with cla- like class to an extent but you know, it seemed just more like kind of like your generic home invasion movie with like yeah. an interesting premise. Mm-hmm. Whereas it was the second movie, The Purge Anarchy, that really like made made me really like this series. Yeah, because it again, it really focuses on that that racialized class aspect and just how they're how people belonging to that class are regarded in mm-hmm. in the North American context, and just that yeah, that sense of like disposability that they're viewed with and. Right. Yeah, it's it, it's so smart. I love it. So, so that's gonna be your recommendation. Yeah, Purge <laughs> two. Cool, cool, cool. Um, so yeah, I guess that's it for this week. Again, get at us on social media, and um, if we're not, maybe you are getting at us, and if we're not quite answering in real time again, it's because we're doing the whole like let's record a bit of a backlog because we're gonna have to take a hiatus from recording for a little bit. Couple weeks here, and here, uh, yeah. but we want to keep the flow of episodes coming, so we're not recording these in real time or anything no. like that. But I'm I'm still shit posting every week to announce it, yeah. and you know I'll, I'll still still checking our our notifications and stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah, it'll still be fresh in our minds. Yeah, so you can still engage with us, and we'll still talk, and we'll still um, yeah. be there. Uh, we will engage in discourse. Yeah, my, my worry is just that, you know, like, we will completely blow past something that came up on social media because we've recorded this episode before it ever came up. Mm. And it'll be like two weeks later, this episode Fair will go enough. up, and it's like, that was not a thing that Hopefully was Hopefully the topics are different enough that it won't be like some glare, it seemed like some glaring omission if it yeah, makes I a hope really so. smart comment or points yeah. something out to us that like blows our minds. Yeah. So if it feels like we're not engaging with you in the episodes, that's why we'll definitely engage with you on social media, and we do plan to engage with you in the episodes when we do catch up. Yes. Cool. But yeah, until uh, till next time, I suppose... Take it easy and keep it sleazy. Yes. That's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. I already got Across the giant the, the giant uh, Costco-sized tub of Crisco. Smearing <laughs> it on my body. <laughs> Get real keep sleazy. Keep it sleazy, not slimy. Oh, keep it greasy. <laughs> keep it greasy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>